It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live, Health Watch. She's writing a prescription for hope. Here's Michelle. Hey, thanks for joining in. Health Watch today. Today, a little hope for you. Think of this. It was said in the Bible that men's hearts will fail them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. Kind of feels like we're living in that age today where fear is filling our hearts. The statistics on depression, anxiety, and suicide are like never before. But this does not have to be you. We're going to offer you some help and some hope today. We're going to speak with the author of this book, So Much to Live For, Dr. Gregory Jantz. He'll be joining us a little later in the program. It's natural for us to be ill at ease. Warnings of nukes and World War III, gas prices, oh my gosh, flirting with over $7 a gallon, a possible worldwide food shortage. And we've just lived through one of the most traumatic and ridiculous experiments in human history through COVID. Men's hearts failing them for fear. That's where we're at today. Look, let's take a look at some of the headlines dealing with just the pandemic that we've lived through. The COVID-19 pandemic triggers a 25% increase in the prevalence of anxiety and depression worldwide. We have a case for depression. Article after article, if you look at even some of the mainstream media, they're reporting it as well. A huge increase in anxiety and depression worldwide. Our precautionary measures leading to these soaring rates among seniors and among adults and even worse, among children. And that's not all. We're talking about real job loss connections, loss of connections, inflation, loss of access for health care and education, all contributing to a national epidemic of depression. And for what? Look at this headline where lockdown policies and mask mandates are linked with lower IQs in children. Zoom schools, lockdown mandates, they've led to a deprivation overall of social contact, according to this article. Not being able to see faces, being stuck at home all day. And it's naturally caused brain damage to kids along with depression. Dr. Mark McDonald cited uh, an August 11th study by Brown University that found that children born during the pandemic have significantly reduced verbal motor and cognitive performance compared to children born pre-pandemic. That's huge. Carl Hennigan, the director of Oxford University Center for Evidence-Based Medicine, cited evidence that pandemic restrictions and the fear we instill in our children, fear, back to fear again, has led to the worsening of psychological problems. This is what we're doing to the next generation. This is what we're doing to ourselves. The effect on these kids has been catastrophic as a result of school closures during the spring of 2020. Children 
the United States will lose what they estimate 5.5 million years of life. Lost learning life. And it literally has a ripple through effect into the child's entire life. And it gets worse. Children in the U.S. have had a spike in fentanyl overdoses. Among high school age adolescents, it's gone up 94.3%. Youth depression, suicide has increased dramatically during the pandemic. The New York Times reported this week that there's an alarming increase in students' suicides And it's even prompting cities like Las Vegas to move quickly to reopen schools. It's not just the pandemic. This is just a shared experience that we've all had. It seems like it's one thing after another reeling we are from the current circumstances. And with inflation and the price of gas and how that affects the cost of food, the cost of everything, How are you going to feed your family? What's going to happen tomorrow? Recently, I was at Northwest MenCon. It's a ministry conference for people who are interested in ministry outreaches and organizations. And for folks who are in those organizations, wow, what a way to see what people are doing around the world to make a difference. What a way to see the messages of hope beyond the headlines of disaster and fear. And I spoke with Dr. Gregory Jance. Now, Dr. Jance and I have a long history. I had worked with him decades ago, and he's still the same good guy, the same man who has been peddling hope for years and years now this is what he had to say as he's talking about his new book on suicide with suicide being an epidemic like maybe never before this was my conversation with dr gregory jans well good afternoon and thank you for tuning in to my michelle live as we take on the issues and the news of the world, we look deeper for the God story. If there's a God, what's he doing in all of this? What does he expect of us? And what can we learn that can make a difference in the world around us? A gentleman that I know from my antiquity. <laughs> well, maybe been a while, right? <laughs> it's been a while. Throughout the years, Dr. Gregory Jantz has been a proponent for hope through counseling, through a myriad of books, through helping people to see what we do here on My Michelle Live, see the God story, a deeper story. And today, Doctor, we've we've come to a place where the Bible says that men's hearts will fail within them. And, and we've gotten to that point. Uh, suicide, anxiety, depression are at epic levels. And disturbingly, in groups of people that it had never been seen before in such uh, numbers with children with uh, other folks who were not at risk before are it's been a disturbing trend and i'm sure you've been following it well michelle what we know right now you mentioned suicide and that's kind of the outcome of where we've been right now suicide is the most places it's the second leading cause of death for the 12 to 17 year olds now the county where i live the county where I live, they just said suicide is the number one cause of death for the 12 to 17-year-olds. 
So that's even weird to say that. It's almost surreal to say it. So, but you mentioned uh, depression, anxiety, and the third area that we see is addiction. So all these issues are at record numbers, including, unfortunately, suicide. Now, I heard someone say once something that stuck with me concerning things like addiction or some of the other harmful things that we do in our lives that are essentially anesthetizing. Is that a good word to use? That we, we have a lot of issues or pain or fear. Are we looking for something to just help us to feel better? You know, Michelle, the last two years or more, um, everything's intensified. And after a while, people look for a way to self-medicate. They go, I can't handle this anymore. People are in two things. They're in despair, probably feeling some despondency. And they go, I need a way out of this. And well, we start to do little things in secret. Maybe it's alcohol, but it's a secret. And maybe we start taking more of a prescription medication. We escape through food, whatever it may be. So, yes, it's a way of, if you will, self-medicating. I've had enough. I can't handle this anymore. And I just need it to escape. And that escape has taken us to uh, our our devices. I was just looking at uh, some statistics about uh, addiction to our phones. Um, and, and we're checking emails over 150 times a day. Uh, many of us are playing games on our phones. We're looking at social media. And we're looking to social media to try to make us feel good. We post something. And if we get a lot of likes, then maybe I feel liked. And that dopamine is released. But it is turning out that it's... It's not helping us with the real connections we need. And what is it about that kind of high that it really isn't as healthy as we would hope it to be? Well, Michelle, nobody out here is playing any games. So I'm just looking around. Okay. Well, because, well, it, it is. You said addictive. Well, it's, again, it's an ex- digital life is an escapism. But what we know about social media, the more time you spend on it, If you're already a little bit depressed, it'll increase your symptoms of depression. Social media does not help us. We've got to figure out how to have guardrails, how to keep it healthy. Um, But, and for most, it's hard to regulate it. So, you know, it's late night and you go, well, how long I've been online? People always underestimate and go, well, maybe I I was on an hour, but it was really six hours. Um, And so we do know over time, take some time, but it can begin to alter brain chemistry. And you mentioned dopamine. So it can begin to change how our brain functions. And this is why when people come to us at the Center of Place of Hope, we take all their devices. So can I have your phone? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you should. We take all the devices just for for three days initially and we lock them up. Okay. Well, that's actually revolutionary. And you would think, come on, you and I are both from an era where we didn't grow up with those things glued to us. Yeah, we didn't have it. So here's so three days. Now, people get a little um, irritable. And sometimes there's like withdrawal symptoms. It's like, no, no, no. I just No, really, get out. <laughs> withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's for some who are so addicted, they'll, their blood pressure goes up, heart rate goes up, they get sweaty. They're really literally having withdrawal symptoms from, from their digital life. From, it's called detox. So we're kind of detoxing. Okay, not everybody, but a fair number of folks do. I... I know that most of us have experienced this to a degree. Now think about it. Has there ever been a time where you couldn't find your phone? 
where did I put my phone? Okay, true story. It was just in Nashville, Tennessee at the National Religious Broadcasting Convention. Huge floor of, of places. I could not find my phone. And I went into a panic. I'm looking, I'm asking people, did, did I leave, someone leave a phone here? And they're like looking, noticing the panic in my eye. And I go up to one place that I had been, and he said, it's in your pocket. Oh, it's in your pocket. <laughs> Ouch. But that feeling yeah. of anxiety, when you realize, I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking, yeah, some people, I'm sure they're addicted to their phones. But then I look back at my own situation, I realize, yeah. Now, even as a doctor, do you have a time suck for online activity, something that easily takes your time? Well, no, I'm online, you know, like most people. But um, I have a few rules I use. Like, I really try not to be online. Well, I'm, no, I'm really not. Um, I don't do this, like, before bedtime. We do the little thing at our house where it's, like, an hour before bed. No no blue light, no screens. Yeah. So, and that also means TV. So, an hour before bed, we start the transition. And it just really helps. Okay? It calms the brain down. And we're not distracted. You're going to have to forgive me, but there's some of our audience that's yeah. saying... What do you do in that hour? Yeah, I know. What do you do, right? <laughs> what, talk to each other? What? Yeah, there used to be something called a book. You actually would read it. But just begin a transition time. Um, it's a part of that sleep hygiene. It's a part of that self-care. Uh, it's a good discipline. I don't want the last thing in your mind before you go to bed to be some stimuli online or social media. Uh, so let's change that. Um, and we can do that. It helps a lot. Um, let's see. What else do we do? Oh, at mealtime. Mealtime screens are not allowed. Okay, I have, I have two boys. Uh, one is married. One's gone. One's still home. But the temptation has been to pull out your devices and you're, uh, you know, showing them. It's a disruption at, at mealtime. So we have a rule that when you're with each other, you're really with them. So you're not texting across you're the not table. Texting, you're not. Now, we, we do have a night that we call digital dinner night. Digital dinner night is a little different. It's the one time, well, one son now, it used to be two. One son um, can bring his device to the dinner. It's a little crazy, I know. But it's the time where he can show me, show us, what are you doing? What are, you, what are the games? What, and, and we make it a part of the conversation. So you envelop it into your family conversation yes. rather than it being something I do in my room all by myself, isolating myself. It's a reality. This is, this is great. Wrap your head around this. It's a reality for our kids, especially. It is an integral part of what they do and who they are, especially after the last couple of years. So having a digital night gives you that opportunity to be welcomed into their world. It sounds a little funny, I know, but we learn a lot. Like, okay, well, what's the new apps? What are kids doing? And you learn a lot. Plus, you're showing an interest in their world without letting it dominate every mealtime. 
Exactly, exactly. And so you have those parameters. I wanted to talk about your book, and this is your latest book on suicide. Um, it, it is an epidemic. It, it really, truly is from veterans to now, as you mentioned, uh, children, children and the devastation that something like that causes lasts a lifetime. You just, it's, it's not something you easily walk away from. It, in this epidemic, there's not a lot of hope out there. There's not a lot of hope. And here's what's happened. That's a book. That's my 40th book. I never thought I was going to do a book on suicide. It wasn't even on my radar. I didn't even think about it. But it seems like such a perfect match for me because hope has been interwoven into your being and what you exude for decades. That's my desire. But with the suicide, it's like, wow, um, we've got... The younger kids, 12 to 17, we have men 50 and above that suicide rates are way too high. Well, they're too high at period. But um, so what is going on? Um, and we've got a lot of apathy. People um, don't have hope for their future. And so suicide is, unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, drug overdose that could be suicide, could be accidental death. But this is a part of... We're in a mental health crisis right now. The crisis is going to turn into more of a pandemic. The next pandemic is mental health. Uh, the resources that we have are not enough to meet the needs. So that said, suicide is something that we have to address. And there are more people that have suicide ideation than ever before. Our emergency rooms are f they're full of people who are at a point of breakdown who are either attempted a suicide um, or contemplating. What do you think is maybe some of the primary issues behind suicide in our country? And I'm going to turn up our, our yeah. volume just a little. So one of the things about the suicide in our country is the general apathy that people feel about their futures, the drug uh, usage and alcohol. In the last two years, alcohol cells have gone way up. So we have some of the highest alcohol cells ever. In one week, we sold a billion dollars worth of beer. Who does that? Oh, and did you hear the, some of the statistics during lockdown when people were working from home? How many people were going to work drunk? Yeah, they were at home. We saw that. We had um, a lot of IT professionals who were uh, started drinking about 4 o'clock. You know, they made it through most of their day. And then it, they started drinking around 1 o'clock. And how many people were at home working, consuming alcohol daily? Well, and they said, well, I'll just do it now. But how many of those people are still doing it? So that's, that's still a major issue. Um, now, with the suicide, um, Michael, I want to save lives. And that's why we call the book So Much to Live For. But when you're in that mode, you cannot see it. You don't see the hope, you don't. You feel very unlovable, and you feel like it's. this is my only option. And I'm just here to say, it's not. We've got to put that on pause. Um, we've got to really understand what's going on for you. But I do want to say there's hope. Hope comes when there's a plan. So we've got to help put together a plan. All right, so in our final minutes together, I'd like to talk about uh, a, maybe a makeshift plan. There's something, a, a couple of things that you can have on your list so that you can say, you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Maybe this plan, maybe there's something that can lead me down a pathway of hope. We need that plan because I think we have um, 
we've kind of indoctrinated ourselves with the idea that if we just get a shot or take a pill uh, or get vaccinated, there's no vaccination against depression other than real joy and real hope. And that doesn't come from a bottle or a, a needle. So let's let's maybe lay, lay some out that someone can grab onto and hold onto until they can get maybe more help that they could that they need yes so if you're not feeling hope put every put it on pause we, we want to do self-destructive behaviors drink whatever but um what i want us to do is pause and allow somebody enough time to really speak into your life and to help you with a plan it's got to be a whole person plan okay emotionally what do i have to address Am I overwhelmed in the anxiety? Am I overwhelmed in too much anger? Whatever it is. Um, but I've got to address the emotional issues. I have to address physically what's going on. Um, I probably am struggling with sleep issues, and that's going to affect me emotionally. So maybe f- medically there's some issues we've got to look at. You know, one thing is we, we do medical workups. We do blood work. We want to know what's going on in that person's life. If you've got a thyroid issue, maybe you're going to have anxiety, for example. So we got to cover it. God designed us and a whole person. We want to address that. Uh, the other is what's going on in our, in our relationships. Are there unhealthy relationships? So, but we got to do an analysis of the whole person and then have a plan for each area of our life. Um, you know, I hate to say it, but, um, ex, you know, nutrition and exercise, well, um, do, does have a role. And so how are you caring for yourself? I know exercise is not the favorite word. I get it. Um, but our physical activity, nutrition, what's going in your mouth, all that matters. It does indeed. And uh, there is hope out there. I know uh, Dr. Greg Jantz, uh, author, I'm sitting across from their booth with dozens and dozens of books, a center, a place for hope. You can find a connection at mymichellelive.com. We'll put a link to the center where if they can't help you, if you're in a different area of the country or the world, they can maybe steer you in the right direction. Oh, we have resources all throughout the country. Now, mental health resources are pretty taxed right now, but please don't give up uh, and reach out because we can help put together a plan. I love the holistic approach because we were created as a whole being. And, you know, I I just have to tell you that there is hope no matter where you're at. I've yet to see God fail to turn a life around when someone's bowed their knees and and asked for help. God is there and Dr. Jantz is there. I'm even here for you. Thanks for listening and thanks for joining me today. Teamwork. Go team. You got it. Now, I don't know what your triggers may be for anxiety, for depression, for fear. All of us have to some degree experienced it. But when we're seeing it at epic levels to the point of addictions uh, in every area being on the rise, where we're seeing deaths from suicide on the rise and the numbers of people uh, dealing with depression in dangerous, dangerous, debilitating ways, it's on the rise. If this is you or someone you know, know that there is hope and there really is help. I want to get to the God story because that's what we always do on My Michelle Live. And this God story has bite. Wherever you're at on that road of stress, anxiety, depression, God has walked that road. Our Lord Jesus walked that road. Jesus was deplatformed. He was canceled. He was bullied. He was stalked. 
he was falsely arrested. Jesus was falsely accused. Jesus was beaten. Jesus was put to death. And Jesus experienced anxiety. What? Absolutely. If you read in the biblical account, the night before his arrest, he was dealing with the loss of someone he loved dearly. Judas, he walked with them for years. They spent days together. And yet this man would betray him with a kiss. He knew that he would be beaten, that he would go to the cross, and he would endure shame and torture. But I'm convinced, based on the biblical account, that that wasn't truly what gave him the most anxiety. What it was, was carrying my sin, carrying your sin, carrying, as the Bible says, our sins, our sicknesses, our diseases, our own anxiety, our own fears, our own depression, the effects of sin he carried in his body. I cannot even imagine what that did to him in his person. But I do know that at the thought of it, Jesus went to a garden, a quiet place among trees. He brought his inner core of friends and said, hey, please, please pray with me. I need help. I need you. I need you. As he was praying, he begged God, look, God, please. And how many times have we been here? God, please take this away from me. God, please, if there's any way that you can take this cup from me, take it from me. I don't want to do this. But because there was no other way, he chose the way of the cross. He chose that. When I was a little girl, there was a song, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. But he chose to go to the cross for me, for you. That was his choice. But that choice brought him such anxiety that he, what the Bible says, he sweat great drops of blood. That's not the only time in history that we've seen this rare condition called hematridosis. Hematridosis is this rare medical condition that causes you to ooze or sweat blood from your skin, right? Um, I believe it was da Vinci, that Leonardo da Vinci, who wrote about a soldier who, after battle, had this condition, sweating blood, the amount of stress that the body endures causing this condition. Jesus sweat blood in this struggle against anxiety. So we have a Savior who understands your pain. We have a Savior who understands anxiety. We have a Savior who understands your depression, your fear. He carried it. So you don't have to. And that's the God story. I'm Michelle Mendoza, and I'm encouraging you to do something for me. One, I want you to reach out to others, connect with others, connect with others that have and have experienced the God story. In that, you will find life, and you'll find hope, 
and you'll find joy, a joy that goes beyond happiness, a joy that is there even in the worst of circumstances, a joy, an ever-present peace in times of trouble. And I'm going to ask you to like this, share this, comment on this, share this program with others who may need this message. The mainstream media is not going to talk about real help and hope in healing. They don't even know it themselves. How can they share it? But we can. As they continue to shut down and close out avenues for us to share truth, more and more of us are speaking out. When you find programs like this, like it, share it, comment on it. All of these things grow our efforts and help others to connect with the God story. Thanks for listening. I'm Michelle Mendoza. This is My Michelle Live. For more fun, go to MyMichelleLive.com.